0: Alhamdulillah, لله was a man. Allah is a man. Alhamdulillah, he was a man. Alhamdulillah, he was a man. Alhamdulillah, he يا a man. Alhamdulillah, he الله a man. سبحان he <laughs> so previously we were discussing the eight terms, the eight istilahat of our mashaykh ibn Naqshiban. We had done four up till now. What were those four? Number one, dar dardam. Number two, nazar Barkadam, Number three, safar dardam. And number four, KALWAT DART ANJUMA Number 5 is YAD KARO YAD KARO Number 5 is YAD KARO YAD means to do zikr YAD means to remember and KARO means do So YAD KARO very simply means do zikr Very simple one So YAD KARO means to do zikr Whether that zikr is LISANI or KALBI whether that zikr is of tahlil, nafi, isbat, or of the ismizat, izat Allah. It means that the salik should do zikr as and how and when they have been instructed by their shaykh to do so. They should do zikr accordingly. And at all times and every day and every moment they should have this worry or preoccupation to do the assigned zikr, the zikr that has been assigned to them. They should try to never miss that zikr, never to skip that zikr. And they should do that zikr with a deep mahabbat from the love of their heart. And they should remain awake and aware and focused and concentrated in that zikr. So that they get the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in their heart. And that their heart remains ever present on the zikr of Allah. This is known as huzul al that the heart remains present on the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is a very simple lesson, and basically it's referring to the importance of doing zikr regularly, that zikr that has been taught to us by our sheikh. So, on the last day, uh, we will have a topic on this, which we will explain this a bit more. The importance of doing our assigned zikr regularly, because that is the lesson that we might be practicing here in Ithika'af, but that is a lesson we have to take with us back into our regular lives because it's extremely important to be regular in Zikr in our regular life. Being regular in Zikr in Ithika'af mode or Umrah mode or Hajj mode is relatively easy and pretty much granted, right? But the real question is how can we become regular in our Zikr in our regular life? So inshallah, the last day we'll have a whole just concluding talk on that topic which really will be an explanation or a commentary on number five, which is Yad karu, again, to remember Allah, to do the zikr. So, in other words, there's so much theory right in the middle, number five is practice, to implement, to do, to become a person of action and not just theory and words. So may Allah ta'ala give all of us, myself and all of us here, the ability to become people of practice, to become people who practice zikr, In fact, inshallah, may Allah ta'ala bring us to such a state where the practice of zikr overtakes our theory of zikr. That the practice of zikr, that we get lost in the practice of zikr. These days, mashallah, we are getting lost in the theory of zikr. right? And that itself is quite amazing. But imagine how, what wonder it would be and what wonderful experience it would be to get lost in the practice of zikr. Number six is baz gasht. Bazgasht, number six, is Bazgasht. It's actually a very specific teaching, but we can use it generally as well, and it has a very interesting general lesson in it. Bazgasht specifically means, it specifically refers to that person who was on the eighth lesson. And Bazgasht is a specific dua in Persian or in Urdu that a person is supposed to make while doing the eighth lesson. So, I will explain the specific way of doing this practice as it pertains to that seeker, that salik, that zakr was on the 8th lesson or beyond, right, who has already received the 8th lesson. And after that, then I will tell you in general how one can practice bazgast And finally, then we will look at the general lesson that is being imparted by this teaching of Bazgast. So, specifically, bazgast means that when the zakr is doing the 8th lesson, which as we learned last night, the eighth lesson is tahleel khafi or called habsidam. It means to say la ilaha illallah, but without using our tongue, without using our physical tongue, we say it with the tongue of our heart, with the tongue of our mind. In Persian they call this with the lisan-e or the zabani To say this with the tongue of your heart, with the tongue of your mind, this is the eighth lesson to say La ilaha illallah. Now what happens is that we repeat this phrase in our heart, in our mind, in a particular way, in a particular technique, an odd number of times. Now what happens is that from time to time, the teaching of Baal is that when you're saying La ilaha illallah in this particular way, from time to time you should pause and you should say the following dua, which I will read to you and then translate. The dua is Khuda Maksude man tui hi what as i to mera mohabbat o and sometimes hadd adds the words zaq o so it would read khuda wanda maqsood-e-man tu what as i to mera mohabbat o wa ma'rifat aur zaq o shau o allah Maksude e man tu that in myself man means in myself means me Oh Allah, You are my maqsood, You are my object, You are my purpose, You are the object of my desire, You are the purpose of my zikr. You are the thing that I'm seeking when I'm making the zikr of La ilaha illallah, specifically. and Your pleasure is my maqsood. So Allah Ta'ala, I have two purposes in doing this zikr. Number one, I'm seeking You, and number two, I'm seeking Your raza, I'm seeking Your pleasure. Both you, your being, your essence, and your pleasure, these two things are my maksud, are the objects of my desire, what I am seeking. After making that declaration or proclamation, then a person makes du'a, Muhammad Ma'rifat," And if you add the words, وشاك, بلي, That Allah subhanahu wa grant me, number one, your muhammad, love for you. Number two, ma'rifat, intimate knowledge and understanding of you. And if we add these two extra words, zaq and shaq. So zaq means a kind of... uh, Zaq means an appreciation and affinity. An appreciation and affinity, a compatibility with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And shaq means a yearning and a desire. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant me zaq and grant me shaq. And these are terms that are often used in very sort of, you know, literary circles for poets, and for example, they will say that somebody who has no appreciation for poetry, Persian poetry, such as my unfortunate self, has a person who is Be'zok, has no Zok. If you remember yesterday, Azam al-Fasidhu al was mentioning the name of a poet. He mentioned a story, right? And he was saying, and I'll just review, I don't if in case it Maybe wasn't clear in the translation. That this ummah, the characteristic of this ummah has always been that it has been an ummah of the seekers of Allah. And it's only relatively recently in the last hundred or fifty years or so that we have become made a ghafil or we have become made mindless or heedless of that seeking of Allah. An example I gave that even the poets of the past who were not practicing, even they had... A certain love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala A respect for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Even the alcoholic, even the drunken Poets had that And he gave the example of one poet who was sitting Having drunk some liquor and being drunk So number one being drunk On his liquor and number two Also being drunk in his prowess Of being a good poet At that state his student asked him a question That what do you think about Ex-poet, he took the name of some poets What do you think about Hale?" what do you think about in Shah and there were several names. One name was the poet called Zok, and so that poet responded that he is bezok, he is without any zok. So zok means a certain skill, a certain talent, a certain appreciation, right? So here that story ended. Since we mentioned that, why not finish that story? Is that that student went one step too far, and that student in an act of extreme brazen, uh, audacity and boldness and impropriety, asked him, that poet, his ustad, his teacher, that what say you of Muhammad Mustafa At that point, right, the poet got upset and said, how dare you take that blessed name in this gathering? How dare you even ask me what I think about that noble personality? And he struck his student on the forehead. Such that blood came from his forehead And then that question of that student Made that poet repent to Allah And he realized That Ya Allah My drunkenness in liquor And my drunkenness and intoxication And my own prowess as a poet Led to such evil And led to such ghaflat That as this majlis This gathering became so heedless Of your command Became so heedless of the adab And the respect due to you And your beloved messenger Sallallahu that while the names of ordinary human beings and Urdu poets was taken, this person dared to take the name of your beloved in this mudless, in which sin and disobedience was taken place. And that person realizes because of me that this happened. I'm the one who created this gathering because I'm the teacher. And so he repented of his alcohol. And he repented of his arrogance and his pride as a poet. So heard that word zok, right? So uh, the dua here in Bazgast, so Allah grant me your mahabbat and marafa and make me a person of zaq and shauq. Make me a person of understanding, of talent, of affinity. It's very difficult to translate that word. Zaq. So, and make me a person of shauq. Make me a person of deep yearning and desire. Who yearns you? So a person should say this with complete humility and complete effacement. The word for effacement is mahw, Which means to efface yourself, to erase yourself entirely. Now what's the reason for this? This is the reason that is hidden in something Shaykh was telling us on the previous nights. And you remember, and this is sort of a more general reason that we can get from this, irrespective of what lesson we may or may not be doing. And that is the general reason that you would remember Sheikh was telling us that the order and sequence in which we do zikr has a particular wisdom in it. And that was as follows that number one, we cut ourselves off from all of creation. And we affirm ourselves, we establish ourselves, we do isbat of the zikr, Allah, Allah, Allah in our heart. However then when we do that zikr in the seven different ways that our Mashiach teach us, after that it's possible that we might have felt something, experienced something which we call kithiyat. And those are also rare of Allah, so they also have to be negated. So a person then does this zikr, la ilaha illallah, to negate everything that everything is other than Allah. If we worship any feeling, that's also a type of shirk. So we negate everything. Now what happens is another step, which is where baz gush comes in. In other words, it's possible that when a person does the zikr of la ilaha illallah, and it especially happens in the 8th lesson, that a person feels another sweetness, another pleasure. Obviously the zikr has its own kefir. So the solution to that is this teaching of baz gash, That person should say that, no, I'm not doing zikr for the sake of zikr. I'm not doing zikr for the sake of. I'm not doing zikr for the sake of zikr. I'm not doing zikr for the sake of getting this pleasure. I'm not doing zikr for the sake of feeling any warmth. He reminds himself by making this statement that reminds himself that what is it that's my maqsood? O oh Allah, you are my purpose, and attaining your pleasure is my purpose. I ask you to grant me your love, your marafat, your intimate knowledge and zok and shok in a deep uh, talent and a deep yearning to reach you. So the purpose of this, and is written in the book, that if a person has any zurur if a person falls into any delusion or deception, gets deluded by the sweetness or the pleasure of zikr, or number two, they have any fakhr, which means pride and arrogance, fakhr specifically means that type of pride and arrogance that a person has when they're skilled. So if a person has a skilled batsman then they take pride in that skill. So if a person becomes skilled in zikr, which all of us actually want, right, to become proficient and be- do it well but then a person can have fakhr that look at me, I'm doing such a wonderful zikr I'm lost in my zikr I'm feeling this and that, then they start to have fakhr This also purifies that and the third thing that it says that Baz this du'a saves us from number one, delusion. Number two, conceit and vanity. And number three, that we get enraptured in the lazat or the pleasures of zikr. So it saves us from making the pleasure our purpose. Sometimes Hadassah explains it like this, that we are Abdul Latif. Al-Latif is one of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We are Abdul Latif, we are not Abdul Lutf. Lutfni means pleasure. Lutf means to get pleasure. We're not servants and we don't, we're don't. We not seekers of the pleasure of zikr. We are servants of Allah and the seekers of His Radha of His pleasure. We are abdul latif. And so therefore we make this dua from time to time in the 8th lesson. When we make it in the 8th lesson, because in the 8th lesson we don't use our tongue, we say la ilaha illallah silently. We also make this dua silently, we don't say this dua with our tongue. Otherwise, however, in general, I remember Hazrat Sahib once in Lahore and one majlis after Fajr, the first year I was studying in Pakistan in early 2000, he said, he asked a question, all of a sudden out of the blue, <laughs> what is Bad <Bazgashd?"> And <laughs> Very few people knew what it was. I, one person, I remember, uh, Nazimuddin Sahib, gave the answer and re- read this dua. And then many of us couldn't understand Persian, we had no idea what this dua was. And then Hazrat Sahab explained, and he said, in general, it's a good du'a for a person to make. So in addition to the specific teaching of Baz Gush, which is to say it when doing the eighth lesson in silently, using the tongue of your mind or the tongue of your heart, in general, this is a good du'a for a person to make. So a person can make this du'a with their tongue at different times. So the du'a then in English would be, O oh Allah, you are my purpose, you are my maksud, and seeking your pleasure is my purpose. Grant me your love, your mahabba and your ma'rifah and intimate knowledge and understanding. So the second thing then is covered that we can generally make this door with our tongue. The third thing, which is the general lesson being given here, which we should keep in our heart and adopt at all times, is what in Arabic we call tashi un We should always make sure our intention is sound. We should always purify our intention. We should have halus We should have the most sincere of intention in doing our ibadat and our zikr as kar- So then, really, everything in this world should be done for the sake of Allah. And one of the benefits of trying to make our intentions sincere and our purpose khalus and pure in life, is that is a very easy way to tell whether anything that we're doing is pleasing to Allah or not. Now that there's any action in our life for which we cannot make this du'a, then that means there must be something wrong with that action. It's very simple. Right? So if you ever want to explain to somebody why watching TV or watching movies is wrong, the people of the self will explain it in our own way, and we'll explain it simply that you can't make this du'a when you watch a movie. You cannot say that Allah Ta'ala, I'm doing this for your sake to get you and to earn your pleasure, and so that I will be granted your love and your madafa. So this du'a is our yardstick of measurement. This du'a is something our litmus test that we carry with us in everything. Every action should be judged in light of this. Every statement, every word we utter should be judged in light of this. Every thought we have should be judged in light of this. Every feeling, emotion we feel, should be judged in light of this. So in that sense, then, Baas is the teaching to keep with us at all times. So we discuss different levels. Right? One, the specific level, put the person on the eighth lesson. Secondly, is to make that specific dua with their tongue for anyone. Third thing, is to make sure that our intention specifically in zikr-eskar and ibadat is according to this. And fourth thing, the most general thing, is that everything in our life, has to pass this test that we're doing it for the sake of Allah. And it's some action that leads us to our object. Even working can be done that way because when you work in a halal job, Idris? No, no, no. ishaq. So when you work in a halal job, you make that need that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even in my workplace, you are my maksoob. I would have no business setting foot in this job unless you had told me to earn risky halal Tayyip. Because you told me to earn the purest and noblest forms of wealth. Because you placed upon me the responsibility to provide for myself and for my family. So I'm seeking you even here. I'm your talib even here in the workplace. I have no other reason for being here. Not career or status, because these are the ways that dunya traps us, right? Career, status, promotion, rank salary, increment. Allah Akbar, that shaitan has made a whole fun, he has made a whole science of the dunya. So, that's not why we're there. So, we can make, now that, imagine, if that is what Amr Shaikh wants. That we take Basgast with us, even into the workplace, even into the university, in any place that we are. That we are the seeker of Allah, wherever we are, and we are seeking Him, and seeking His pleasure, in every action that we do. So if you make that your need when you go to work, then Allahu Akbar. Even that work can be a type of ibadat or a way of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, an act of obedience, an act of compliance with the sharia. This is what Imam Al Maud al as I mentioned in his That one definition of wakuf al-Qalbi is that any action, and he gives a specific example of trade and commerce, bayat and tijara. Any action that is done in compliance with the sharia, that itself is zikr. That itself is remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When it's done with this intention, with this understanding, with this concept. So Baz Gashd, then is basically a teaching that should show us our entire concept of life. How we should view everything in our life. The seventh thing is called Nagidash. Seventh is called Nagidah. So so far we did number five Yad Karo very briefly. Inshallah, to end we'll discuss that more. The importance of being regular in the zikr of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Number six was Baz ghasht to continually remind ourselves and continually renew this pledge in our heart as well as on our tongue that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, You alone are our maqsood, You alone are our purpose, and we only wish to seek You and to seek Your pleasure. And we wish that you grant us your muhammad and your marafat, your love and your knowledge. Number seven is Nagidasht. Nagidasht is a very interesting teaching. And in some ways, it's really only the Mashai who really have Nagidasht. In fact, at the end they write that it's only, this is something that's very difficult for an ordinary person to achieve in its utmost form. But this is the sign, the mark of the e of the perfect friends of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala Now what is this Nagidasht? Nagidasht means basically to be a watchman over our thoughts. Nagidasht means to be a watchman over our thoughts, our whisperings, what we call the khilat or the khawatir. The stray thoughts, the idle thoughts, the recollections, the memories, the whisperings that come into our mind, to be a watchman over them. So what does this mean? This means to keep the thoughts and whispers of our nafs, to prevent them from entering into our gulp, into our heart. To keep the random thoughts, idle thoughts, or heedless thoughts, or worse, sinful thoughts of our nafs from entering into our heart, from affecting our heart. How? It is written that it is lazim, it is mandatory, that whenever we see such a stray thought, idle thought, sinful thought, whisper coming when any such thought appears on the horizon of our thoughts, when any such thought appears on the horizon of our mind, we we must immediately dispel that thought, we must drive it away, we must not give it a space in our heart. Why? Because otherwise, once we let it into our heart, it will be very difficult to remove it from our heart. So we try to fight the battle up front. We try to take preventive measures. So, when I was reading this, I just imagined like this, then imagine that your thought is like a piece of paper. And it has something that we call crazy glue stuck on it. I don't know if you have crazy glue in Nigeria. In Pakistan, they call it elfi. I don't know why. <laughs> but some bond, some adhesive, that can, once it sticks, it's very difficult to dislodge it. So we should imagine these khawatir sinful thoughts are like that. That if we let that piece of paper land on the heart, then it'll stick. And then once it lands, it's very difficult to dislodge it. So why not, when it's fluttering in the air on the horizon, just drive it away right there. Don't let it land. That's what Nagi does. does. Don't let those stray thoughts, and specifically it says thoughts and whispers of our nafs, don't let them enter into our heart. Otherwise, once they enter into our heart, it becomes extremely difficult to remove them. So then there are three ways that are mentioned on how to do this. Number one, it says the best way, the most proven way, the most time-tested and tried way is, and it sounds very simple, is to divert our thoughts from that whisper. Just stop thinking about that. So what that means, for example, is a thought appears on the horizon of our mind. Don't give it any attention. As they would say in Pakistani English, don't give it any lift. Right? Don't give it any attention. Don't pay any attention to it. Don't even look at it and try to negate it. Even that is attention. Right? So the way they would give you an example is that if it comes on the horizon, don't even try to actively dispel it. If you even attend and try to dispel it, it'll latch onto you. And it'll come back with you. So don't send your rope out to attack it because it'll grab onto the rope and come back in. Don't even give it any attention. So, it really means, rather, that you divert your thought. Maybe that's better. Rather than saying, to, the way to dispel and drive away that thought is to completely divert your attention from even noticing that thing. Don't even notice that it has come on the horizon. Don't even give it an atom's weight of importance. Don't even give it recognition. Don't even acknowledge it. Now, that sounds very wonderful and easy to do. It's extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult. That's why I told you it's a very difficult thing to do. Why? Because to do that, to be a real watchman over your thoughts requires extreme willpower, kuvwata iradi. It requires stamina. It requires resolve, strength of purpose, strength of character, strength of mind. And we don't have that. We are like the lazy people who something comes on the horizon, we like to look at it, we watch it slowly, slowly. We still don't realize, we watch it, let it come, we watch it, look at it look at all its angles, boom. And then it's finished. That's what we're like. The mashiach have the stamina. And actually, I mean, this isn't something we just care, but this is extremely important. And actually, really, this is, it's written, this is actually one of the most important things for even the mashiach to be careful about. That this is their be-all and end-all. This is what makes or breaks them. This ability. Right, So then an average person might not have this. So then I say, okay, if you can't do that, if number one doesn't work, not if number one doesn't work, if you're not able to do the first thing, then number two is that to immediately enter the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In other words, if on your own you can't divert your thoughts from that, then occupy yourself in something else. Once you become busy in something else, then that is another way also not to acknowledge and notice that whispering of the nafs. So obviously then what will we occupy ourselves with, occupy yourself immediately in the zikr of Allah, immediately enter the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and dive. Submerge so deep into the depth of the zikr of Allah that you don't notice what's going on in the air. The, the, air, the, the air of your mind, the air of your khalat. So that's where some of us also lack, right? We'll float on the zikr of Allah but we're still watching. Right, so we're doing zikr but one eye, is st- one eye is doing zikr one eye is watching it come it still lands so to dive so deep in the zikr of Allah is written that again you reach the state of mahab of self-effacement and when you lose yourself in the zikr of Allah then obviously you lose that thought that thought will obviously get lost if we get so absorbed in the zikr of Allah that we can lose our own self then that thought will get lost on the horizon so the second thing is to ok that's also not easy to do Right? How many of us have that ability to lose ourselves in the zikr? If only we had this ability, then all of this would have been taken care of in the first place. But it is being mentioned right, as a tool for the salik. What it means here with was the reason we use the word watchman is the watchman is ever on guard. If any enemy comes on the rise and he just doesn't ignore it, he does something. He does some response to protect whatever he's guarding from that enemy. So when we're the watchmen of the heart, we have to do something to protect our heart. We might try, we might not be successful, but the point, at least for us, people like me, we're at the beginning, we have to try something. We have to do something when we see that enemy thought come on the horizon. So number one, if we can try to just divert our thought from it, or number two, our response is to submerge ourselves in the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so we get so lost in that zikr that that thought itself gets lost. Now, the third thing that is mentioned, if you can't do one or two, the third thing needs to be explained in detail. And the third thing is really something actually that is also uh, very easy to do, the third thing. As opposed to number one and two, number three is something very easy to do, but you have to be extremely careful. And the third thing also has a trap that the average ordinary person will do it incorrectly. There's a great danger in number three. And that's why, actually, many times most of our Mashai might not even mention number three to you. But since this pertains to another topic that we were doing, which are different bidat and tasawwuf, different innovations in tasawwuf, this concept has to become clear. So, this is the notion of the difference between tasawwur al and rabita al Because the third thing says that you should call, and I will explain to you, I'm going to say it to you in a way right now. I will first say it to you in a way that is subject to misinterpretation. Then we will discuss this in detail, and then I will restate it to you in a way, in light of our correct interpretation, or in, in light of the interpretation, understanding of our Mashaikh and Nakshaban have of this concept. So first I'm going to explain it to you in a general way, okay, which can be very much open to misinterpretation. At the end I will reformulate it for you, according to the teachings of our Mashaikh and Nakshaban. The general way is that the third thing is that you should form an image of the shaykh in your mind. Recall the image of your shaykh and the barakah of recalling that image would dispel that thought. Now this opens a whole topic which is in Arabic called number one the sawar al and the other thing is called rabita sheikh. shaykh Now I'm going to explain this to you in general. Okay? The me comes from the word surah. The sawar the tafa'al, to call up or to create a surah. Surah means an image. The sawar means to make the image, to create the image, or to call up the image. In this case, to imagine the image. Shaykh is Shaykh, to, to call up the image of your Shaykh. In general, this used to be a separate practice. Now, I'm just mentioning this very on the side in, in Nagidash. For us uh, some other Silsunahs, especially in the Silsunah Chishtiya, this was a separate established practice. And this is something that Imam Arbani Mujad al-Fisayatai also uh, changed or departed from. And Imam Arbani Mujad al said in his that we do not practice the Savara Sheikh, rather we practice Rabita Sheikh. So what are the ways that people used to practice the Savara Sheikh? That this used to be their zikr. They used to sit down and just imagine the Sheikh imagine his countenance, imagine his face, and that would be the way that they would purify themselves. And surely it might have worked, and surely those other Mashiach had their own reasons for that. But because it opens the door to so much bid'at, and there's specifically two bid'at that it opens the door up to. Well, let's say there are three. Number one is that a person begins to start worshipping the sheikh, starts to worship that image. So much so that I saw once some of our unfortunately, let's say unguided Sufis. I won't call them misguided. Let's just say they're unguided. That is more humility that they were people who didn't get the hidayah that we got. If we didn't have sheikh, we'd also be unguided. So there's some of our people in Tasawwuf who have been unguided. And so I remember seeing one of them that they would have a picture like a photograph of their sheikh. I had that he had many photographs of the sheikh In the entrance was a big one and the room was this one and the bedstead there was this one then there was another pocket one and I know that group even emails right and, and the way they ask you to take bea on the internet is they say they send you to a site where there's a picture of the sheikh and you're just supposed to focus on his picture and that's it that's your bail so they, this was one thing that it led to worship of the sheikh taking out the picture kissing the picture putting the picture here putting the picture up And according to some of the historians of religion, this is the way idol worship started in the first place. That there was a prophet who came, and those people, in sincerity, in order to remember their prophet, they made a likeness or image of their prophet for their children. The children realized that this isn't our God, this is just an image of of our respected prophet. But as the generations passed, they ended up making that image a God and an idol, and they started worshipping it. So the first danger that comes out of this practice of the sawara shaykh is that a person starts to worship the shaykh and that is shirk, that is detrimental not just to our aqidah or iman but that will also cripple your, our t- sawaf, that will also finish art sawaf second danger is what they write is that the shaykh becomes maksud bizzat, the shaykh is not maksud bizzat, remember we just did this, This relates to the earlier one, what would bazgash ba- say, that maksud is Allah Allah subhanahu ta'ala is our purpose. Allah is the object of our desire, the object, the ultimate object of our desire, our focus, our love, our yearning. That person who engages in the Sawr of Shaykh opens himself up to this possibility that the Shaykh replaces Allah as the ultimate object. So they, the Shaykh becomes their object of desire. So it's a very fine point. Obviously, we all of us have love for the Shaykh. But love for the Shaykh is not the ultimate love. It's not the... Penultimate love. It's not the maqsood. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only being who is maqsood bi that His being in essence is maqsood in of himself. The awliya of Allah are, are maqsood because they are the awliya of Allah. Not in of their own selves. Do you understand? They are maqsood bil wasita. They are maqsood due to the nisbat they have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa taala is the only being who is our maksud in of himself, which means means maksud bizat. In other words, Allah is the object of our desire simply because He is Allah, not for any other reason. The mashaikh are the object of our love and our affection because they are because they are the awliya of Allah, because they have something in them that they're, they're because of their connection, their nisbat with Allah subhanahu wa taala. So this is the second issue. The third issue that some people started to have, which is a major issue, which is known as Hazr Nazar. Hazar means the omnipresence and Nazar means the omniscience. In other words, that only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all present and all aware. But when a person starts doing so much tasawur of Shaykh, they began to think that, well, because my Shaykh's picture is here and I'm thinking about him so much, it's as if he's here with me. Then they took it the next step that he is here with me. Then they took it the next step that he is aware of me. So they began to develop this Aqeedah, an incorrect Aqeedah, an unguided false Aqeedah, that our Shaykh is Hazar Nazar. So these people believe that our Shaykh sees us everywhere we are. Our Shaykh is with us everywhere we are. Our Shaykh is aware of each and everything that we do. So it's not like that. This is an attribute that only belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is omnipresent. hazar, present everywhere. His ilm is present everywhere. In fact, Him being present everywhere is a whole other. That's because everywhere itself is wala, maqan, مَقَانَ لَهُ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is beyond space. Even all of space. Is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is beyond. He transcends all of space. But normally the way we speak, we say Allah is everywhere in the sense of His ma'iyat huwa ma'akum aina So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used the word aina. That also denotes space. That Allah SWT, Although the tafsir is that Allah is with you in every place, every house, church, but really so. hazir, omnipresence, only belongs to Allah. And nazir, literally means Allah is all, the all seeing, it means all aware. Only Allah SWT is all aware. So now let's go back at these three things and understand these three mistakes properly. What was the first mistake? They worship Allah. So again remember when we mentioned the other day adab of the shaykh. That what are the hudud, what is the had of the sharia? Ibadat. That you can have as, we have as much and we want to have as much love for the shaykh and respect for the shaykh. And adab of the shaykh is possible. But we draw the line where it is. Ibadat. We don't worship the shaykh. I myself once in Chicago in 1993 saw somebody do sajra to their shaykh. Then very funny people <laughs> that one day were reprimanded for this. Then they started a healer. You know what they did? They started doing sajda for the shaykh and they would keep their right foot up in the air. And they said, this is the difference, that when we do sajda to Allah, all seven points touch the ground and when we do sajda to the shaykh, we keep our right foot up slightly from the ground. No, that's not the difference. The difference is nothing goes to the ground. Only Allah subhanahu ta'ala is our masjood in any way. Only to Allah alone do we prostrate. To Allah alone do. Allah alone do you worship. (inaudible) Iyaka madu, Iyaka nasjudu. Right? So, second thing was that, maksud, that I already explained, that the correct way is that yes, the shaykh is the object of our love. And in some sense, his pleasure is also our desire. We desire to make ourselves pleasing to him. But not bizat. What does that mean? We don't want to become pleasing to the shaykh for the sake of the shaykh. It's for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not for the sake of His own self, but because we know that if we please Him, we earn the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright, and the third thing, Hazar wa Now someone might have the question, but at the same time, there is this teaching in the Sawwuf about Kashf, or that sometimes the shaykh does get to know about something that we did. Or the shaykh, if, certainly gets to know about how much zikr we're doing, or which zikr we did more emphasis on, what is cold, what is hot, what is warm, what is lukewarm. So isn't that a type of Hazar Nazar? So the first thing is that the akida of Hazar Nazar is absolute. These people start to think that their shaykh knew everything, was aware of everything, and was present with them at all times. At an absolute level, that only is the attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Second thing, is that they felt and this is pertaining to another thing called ilmul ghayb, knowledge of the unseen. So it's very related to this that the people the of Tissawar Shaykh because they felt if their Shaykh is hazir Nazar all the time, then their Shaykh knows everything also. So the knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to the Mashaikh through Kashf, number one, is Allah wa ta'ala controls that shutter. The Shaykh cannot control that shudder. If Allah wa ta'ala chooses to reveal something about a marid to the Shaykh, Allah wa ta'ala can do that. If an Allah wa ta'ala chooses not to, Allah wa Ta'ala can do that. The shaykh does not control the shutter. Number two, whatever knowledge the shaykh gets is not his own intrinsic knowledge, but it's bestowed upon him, is given to him by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number three, that knowledge is given for the purpose of bringing about our rectification and our purification. So one way Hazrat was mentioning this, I don't remember if it was at night or maybe in the room, that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives the shaykh an idea or an inspiration of something about us, It's a response to our own du'a because we make this du'a that we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for hidayah, for guidance. So sometimes He puts in the heart of the guide something about us so that He's able to guide us. So It's a response of our own du'a. It's a response of our own ikhlas, our own sincerity. And that is why a person should make du'a actually. We used to make this du'a that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala unveil our faults to our shaykh. That's what we want, Right? Just like a person, when you go in front of the doctor, you try to explain to them that I have this pain. He's like, Is it like this? No, 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 it's like this. You keep trying. And then sometimes when you're not able to, in your heart you say, Well, I wish you could just understand what my pain was, exactly what it was. If somehow you could let him diagnose it and put shifa in his hands and whatever medicine he gives. So that's what we want. We want to be diagnosed so that we can be cured. But that happens on an occasional basis, that happens on a limited basis. Even our Shaykh does not know each and everything about us. And not, certainly he's not present with us. That part definitely. He's not present with us wherever we go. So now these, once these three things have become clear. Second, Shaykh Amr Siddhi, Imam Arbali, Madhul said that instead of doing this over Shaykh, because that was the way that, that this other group, Did what we call istifada. The way they got benefit from their shaykh was through the shaykh. So Imam Rabbani said that no, the way to get istifada, the way to get benefit from the shaykh is through rabita shaykh. Rabita means to keep in close contact and connection with the shaykh, to try to present ourselves in his sobat and his company, to try to present ourselves for his khidmat. And another rabita is our muhabbat, our love, and to keep. The Adab of the Shaykh. Adab of the Shaykh means the things that you've heard and the things that have been mentioned. And also, the real Adab is to value his teachings and to implement them. That is the real Adab. Otherwise, imagine if you asked Hazrat Sahib, I stand for you every time you stand and I sit every time you sit, but I don't follow your teaching. I go home and I don't do Maraqamah. So then what value is it of the standing and of the sitting? The real adab of the sheikh, and that's the the real, the elusive adab. The adab that manages to elude all of us, and this is the one that we should be chasing. Is that we value him so much, his time so much, his effort so much, that we submit ourselves to his teachings and his words. And we live a life according to his wishes. That is adab of the sheikh. So all of these things are a type of rabatah. Then there was another type of Rabatah that Imam al-Abbani mentioned, which we discussed once before, because it's called Rabatah Kalbi. We discussed this once last year, Rabatah Kalbi. This refers to a special type of wakufa kalbi. It's actually wakufa kalbi, and we'll we'll do that, because that's coming in in this series. It's number 11, I think. Wakufa kalbi, again, you would remember from last year, is to keep our heart ever-present, ever-aware of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is a 24-hour practice, a 24-hour zikr that we're supposed to do. However, when we're in the physical presence or physical proximity of the shaykh, there is a special way that we do wakufu kalbi which is called rabita kalbi. And that simply means, rabita means to put in touch. So it means to put our heart in touch with the heart of the shaykh. And to make this niyat, Ya Allah, everything that you put into the shaykh's heart, put it into my heart. Or to make that niyat for a specific lesson. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the same anwarat and fiyuzat and tajalliyat you put in the latifah of my shaykh. Put those same anwarat, fiyuzat, tajalliyat, those same lights, those same graces and manifestations of your bounty and your blessing into my heart. So we establish that connection. And it's just as if we're receiving. Like they have infrared communication and Bluetooth. So we set up a Bluetooth connection with the heart of our sheikh, and we just perceive That is called Rabatai Kapi. Now we come back. And so, uh, so Imam Rabbani said that in our Salasala the way we take benefit from the shaykh is not through the al shaykh but through Rabatai shaykh. So we replace the al shaykh with Rabatai shaykh. Now when that has been understood how is it that all of a sudden here getting back to the that is it is being mentioned that the way to be a watchman over our thoughts, the third way, is to do the sowar of the sheikh. So now I will explain it in the specific way, according to the understandings of the Mishayik and Naqshaban, which, inshallah, will be free from misinterpretation and will safeguard us from falling into deviance and error. This means that if a stray thought appears on the horizon, and you're unable to ignore it and divert your attention from it, and you're unable to lose yourself so much in zikr that the thought itself becomes lost, then what you do is you do the savur al-shaykh, you just imagine the image of the shaykh, knowing number one, that it's not an object of worship, knowing number two, that that image is not being called in of itself for its own sake, but for a particular purpose, and number three, knowing that even if you imagine the image of the sheikh, the sheikh is not aware of you at that moment, he is not aware that you were calling up his image. He is not seeing you at that moment, and he is certainly not physically present with you at that moment. But you are simply calling up his image, and what does it mean for us to call up his image? It doesn't mean to think about the Shaykh's face. The way it's written is that the Sawar of Shaykh for us means that we should imagine ourselves sitting in front of the Shaykh the same way we sit in front of him in live Sobat. So the same way you sit in front of the Shaykh in Maraqaba, or you sit in his Sobat. So what we're imagining is our being sitting in front of him, not his face or his countenance, but imagine that we're sitting in front of him once again. Now, why? This is just a, uh, an aid to us to save ourselves from the thought, because normally we would remember that when we when we were in such a state, we're not in that state now, but when we were in that state, that we were presented, we were present in front of him, or we were sitting in his company, we were able to that barakah that sobat was able to keep these stray thoughts away. So what we do is then, that, and obviously this is something that a person does when they're distant from the shaykh. If you're in the company or proximity of the shaykh, you just do Kalbi as your third way of doing nagatasht. When a person is absent or physically far from the shaykh, what do they do? They simply think of the shaykh and they remind themselves that, just think that they are sitting before the shaykh as they used to be sometimes sit before them in real physical life, and they imagine they're taking fast from the heart of the Shaykh. So it's a special case where you almost do a kind of a rabit, a kalbi, even while being absent, but you do it as part of Nagidasht. So this is the third way then to become a watchman over our thoughts. And this is also something critical. So you can imagine just even these seven teachings, if anybody was able to do these things, that is also a type of syllabus of the that Hazrat Khwaja Amd al-Khaliq established these eight principles before Hazrat Shah but they've been continued. And probably their details have been further expanded over time and what we have now and what we're sharing and what we're learning today is our understanding of our Mashaikhi Naqshbandi Mujaddidi of these eight principles. So Nagidas means to be a watchman over our thoughts. If a person succeeds on this then their heart gets that same jamiyat, that huzur, that istigraq, all of these terms. That maho, that heart gets that focus, that attention. Because what is the thing that distracts the thought? We did this in the beginning, there were two things. Number, th- number one, the things inside of ourselves and the anfus. And number two, outer distractions, the afak. So this teaching of Nagadash is also for a person to work on their anfus, to work on themselves. To purify themselves or safeguard themselves from any type of inner distraction. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable all of us to become people of zikr. People who do amal on yad karo. May He enable us to remember and remind ourselves and always be aware during that zikr of la ilaha illallah. During all of our zikr azkar. During all of our ibadat of baz gashd. Namely that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you are our maqsood and your pleasure is our maqsood. Allah grant us your muhabba and your marifa. And may He make this this, the crux of our whole way of life, our lifestyle, our philosophy of life. And may He make this du'a a a means of purifying our intention and regaining sincerity and ikhlas. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through His infinite mercy bring us to this level of nagyidashd in which we become a watchman of our heart and such that we safeguard it from all of the thoughts and whisperings of the nafs whether those thoughts are sinful, whether those thoughts are distracting, or even if those thoughts are merely idle, may Allah Ta'ala preserve us from being ensnared by any and all of such thoughts. Ya Allah, you granted us so many bounties and blessings. Ya Allah, you made us from amongst the Insan. Ya Allah, you grant us, granted us the gift of Iman. Ya Allah, you brought us to the door of the path of ihsan Ya Allah, Ya Ya Allah, we have wronged ourselves. Ya Allah, we have oppressed ourselves. Ya Allah, we have failed to follow the teachings of our elders. Ya Allah, we have submitted our ears, but we have yet to submit our hearts. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, if you do not shower your mercy upon us, if you do not shower your forgiveness upon us, if you do not shower your mercy upon us, Ya Allah, if you do not shower your hidayah upon us, Ya Allah, al khasirin. Ya Allah, we will be amongst the lost ones Ya Allah, we will remain at the door Ya Allah, we will have failed to enter in Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Karim We ask you to enable us to follow the teachings of our Messiah Ya Allah, we ask you to in- engrave these teachings on our heart Ya Allah, engrave Yadkaru on our heart Ya Allah, let wadkurullaha Ya Allah, your commandment in the al-Kareem. Ya Allah, let it be engraved permanently onto our heart Ya Allah Ya Allah Anna Min Allah Ya Allah, make us amongst those of your remembering believing worshippers, those who remember you with kasrut with abundance. Ya Allah Ya Rabbi how is it that in this path of the soul, of so many of us fail to do zikr? Ya Allah, in the other paths of the deen, it's impossible to conceive of failure. Ya Allah, there is no student of a madrasah who does not study. Ya Allah, there is no student of tafsir who does not look at ayat. No student of hadith who does not look at ruayat. Ya Allah, no student of fiqh who does not look at Masail. Ya Allah, today we are the students of the sawf who do not do zikr. Ya Allah, we today are the students of the sawf who do not make muraqabah. Ya Allah, yirabbi kareem, shower your special mercy upon us. Ya Allah, have mercy on our wretchedness. Have mercy, Ya Allah, on our degraded state. Ya Allah, have mercy on our nifaq and our hypocrisy. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Karim. Ya Allah, you said in the Qur'an al-Kareem that the munafikeen will be in the lowest, in the asfali, in the absolute lowest level of jahannam. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, save us from such a fate. Ya Allah, when you... Sp- when your beloved Messenger said in the Qur'an, in, in his Hadith, that he will save people from the hellfire. Ya Allah, he left that salvation as Aum. Ya Allah, that means that even some people from the lowest level of hellfire should be freed. Ya Allah, we are amongst those malafiqeen. We are in the lowest level of hellfire. Ya Allah, we have perhaps not committed nifaq fil iman. Ya Allah, we have committed nifaq fil tassawuf. Ya Allah, we have committed nifaq fil dhikr. Ya Allah, we have committed nifaq fil bayah. Ya Allah, we ask you to save us from these hypocrisies in the barakah of the month. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, make us amongst the people of Zikr. Ya Allah, soften our hearts towards Zikr. Ya Allah, revive our dead hearts. Ya Allah, soften our dead hearts. Ya Allah, this kalm belongs to you. Ya Allah, we present this kalm to you as hard as it is hardened, as blackened as it is black. Ya Allah, but yet we present it to you. Ya Allah, in front of your newer, how can it remain black? Ya Allah, in front of your mercy, how can it remain hard? Ya Allah, ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you out of your mercy and your kindness and your kalm and your generosity. Ya Allah, to soften our hard hearts, to enliven our dead hearts, to enlighten our blackened hearts. Ya Allah and give us the ability to tawfiq, the success that can only come from you Ya Allah we are firm believers in this Allah because we have tried so many times to do zikr and we have failed Ya Allah now we have, we have learned our lesson we know that the success and zikr can only come from you so Ya Allah we put all of our trust in you we put our tawakkul in you that you make us amongst the zakareen. Ya Allah you said in the Quran al-Kareem inna Allah hayuhibbul that verily Allah on that you love the people of tawakkul Ya Allah we put our tawakkul, our trust and reliance and dependence upon you, that you make our heart amongst the zakirin, that you get to sakalman zakirah, alisanan zakirah, a heart that remembers you, a tongue that remembers you. Ya Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah, to honor our tawakkul, and Ya Allah, grace us with the ability to increase in our zikr. Ya Allah, Ya Ya Allah, we pledge Ya Allah, You alone are our maqsood and Your pleasure alone is our maqsood And, Ya Allah, we ask for this na'mat of zikr for no other reason except to increase in our muhammad of You, to increase in our manafat of You, and to increase in our ability to earn Your pleasure. Ya Allah, if ever we have had other intentions, and we acknowledge, Allah ta'ala, that we have had other intentions, we repent of our riya, we repent of our takamber. We repent of our fakhir. Ya Allah, we make tawbah of all of our false intentions. Ya Allah, we ask you to purify our intention. Ya Allah, and grant us that which is our object of intention. Ya Allah, grant us our murad. Ya Rabbi Kareem, you are our murad. Ya Allah, we are your Marid. Ya Allah, ya Rabbi Kareem, it would... It only befits you to bestow upon us your hidayah. Ya Allah, although certainly it befits you to bestow upon us your wrath. Ya Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah, that you yourself declare that mercy befits you more than your wrath. Ya Allah, we ask you to send your mercy upon us. Allahumma innaka afuwan wa kareemun. The will anna. Ya Allah, you are forgiving, you are generous Ya Allah, you love to forgive Ya Allah, make us amongst those whom you love to forgive Ya Allah, we ask you to wash away all our sins In the oceans of your mercy In the power of your forgiveness Ya Allah, you're ya And Ya Allah, we ask you to enable us to do nagidas Ya Allah, we ask you to be the watchman over our thoughts Ya Allah, we cannot present ourselves as our own watchmen Ya Allah, we ask you to save us from the whisperings of our nafs Yourself said in the Qur'an al-Kareem That verily the nafs commands a person to sin The disobedience Ya Allah, the only person is saved Nobody is saved except for that person upon whom the mercy From Rahim rabbi Upon the per- person upon whom our Lord's mercy falls Ya Allah, we ask you to send your mercy upon us To safeguard us from the whisperings of our nafs To safeguard us from the whisperings of shaitan Ya Allah, to safeguard our heart Ya Allah, once we have presented our heart to you We ask you to do its hifaza. We ask you to do hifaza of our qalb. Ya Allah, if you leave this task to us Ya Allah, we have presented years of failure Ya Allah, if you leave this task to us Without your help If we try to do this unaided Then surely we will fail again Ya Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask for your special mercy Ya Allah, we ask you to transform our hearts To accept our hearts for the zikr Ya Allah, surely All of these teachings of the mashaykh that they spoke in word, that their most sincere seekers must have recorded in the books, that their sincere seekers must have printed in the books, that their sincere seekers and your sincere lovers brought to us, Surely this whole chain could not have been established just so that we would fail. Ya Allah Ya You. surely your irada is that of khair. Surely that you wish for us to hear these things with our heart ears. Ya Allah, we ask you to find a place for them in our heart. Ya Rabikreen, make us amongst the zakirin, Ya Allah make us amongst the Tawabin and the Awabin. Ya Allah make us amongst the Sabirin and the mutawakilin. Ya Allah make us amongst the muhsinin. And Ya Allah make us Die from this earth and be raised in the Day of Judgment amongst the Mu'mineen and the Muslimin. Rabbana taqamal minna innaka anta al-sameer al-aleem. Wa tubu alayna innaka anta al-dubab al-raheem. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een. Bi rahmatika ya al-humar minna.